You are listening to Press Church Podcasts. Please enjoy this week's message. Today, I want to finish the sermon that I started last week, talking about the sure mercies of David. We talked about it in part one last week, and we're going to finish the last three in the last passage of scriptures today, the sure mercies of David. In Isaiah chapter 55, we'll start in verse 3, and then we'll read down, we'll highlight the points that we talked about last week to catch us up, and then we'll dive in to the last three points from the Scriptures. Isaiah 55, verse 3, this is the prophet Isaiah talking about the new covenant, talking about the Messiah that's coming, talking about you and me, talking about the benefits of this new covenant and the mercies of David. Verse 3 says, Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Thank you, Father. The sure mercies of David. The first truth that we pulled out of that scripture in regards to the new covenant that God has for us is that new covenant realities come to you based on your hearing. The first thing that we talked about last week was new covenant realities come to you based on your hearing. Incline your ear and come to me here, and your soul shall live. As we keep reading the passage, we got to Isaiah 55 verses 4, going down through verse 7. It says, Indeed, I have given him, talking about Jesus, as a witness to the people. In Revelations, Jesus, one of his names is called the faithful witness. And a leader and commander for the people. In Hebrews, it calls Jesus the captain of our salvation. Verse 5 says, Surely you shall call a nation you do not know. And nations who do not know you shall run to you. Because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Here's where our second truth came. Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The second truth that we can see in regards to this new covenant, this everlasting covenant that God has given to man by believing on his son Jesus and what he did, was that God's pardon is greater than your sin. God's pardon is greater than your sin. God made the choice all the way back then when he was speaking to the prophet Isaiah that he was already planning to abundantly pardon the sins, not just pardon, but abundantly pardon the sins of mankind. And we have to understand that God's forgiveness is greater than our sin. The third truth that we pulled out with Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9 For my thoughts, we've heard people in pastors and churches preach and talk about this passage of Scripture before. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, God saying, my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The third truth we pulled out of that, men think of getting even, but God thinks of getting over it. Men think of getting even, but God, he thinks about getting over it. He was tired of dealing with that old covenant 
in the animal sacrifices time after time after time. He says, I'm just going to come up with a new covenant, a new way that I can just forgive the sins of the world by placing all of my anger, all of my wrath, everything upon my son Jesus on the cross, and therefore, by believing on him, I'm just going to get over your sins. I'm just going to forget and forgive your sins. Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, I will remember your sins no more. Those are the first three truths. So we're going to pick up Isaiah 55, verse 10. Isaiah 55, verse 10 says, For as the rain comes down, and as the snow from heaven, and does not return there, but waters the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. This is God speaking. He's saying, my word will not return to me void. It'll do what I tell it to do. It will prosper where I tell it to prosper. So the truth that we can pull out of this scripture is that the Word of God will produce prosperity in all areas of life when you return it back to Him. The fourth truth, the Word of God will produce prosperity in all areas of your life when you return it back to Him. In verse 11, he says, So shall my word be that it goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. So how does the Word of God return back to him. God says the, his word is not going to return to him void. Now, I've been in ministry for 10 years, been pastoring for three years here in September, and I have not received some type of device from heaven on how to send my prayers specifically to him. There's not a satellite that the angels have hung above the earth that whenever it's right above Williston is when I can pray, and that satellite, will, the words that I say will hit the satellite and bounce over to heaven. There's not a mirror that I can reflect the Word of God back to Him. So how does the Word of God return to Him? Glad you asked that question this morning. God's Word returns back to Him when His covenant partners decide to say it back to him. When you on earth dare to speak the scriptures by faith back to God, then it will not return void to him. We are in a covenant with God. When you said yes to Jesus, when you believed on Jesus, asked him to come into your heart, become saved, you became a covenant partner with God. For those who don't know, a covenant is simply set up in the easiest way of what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. So God has put us in a covenant with each other. And God is up in heaven as soon as you say yes to his son. And he says, son, daughter, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And you here on earth 
look up to God and say, well, I'm making a covenant with you, and what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. Well, what does mankind give to God? Man offers sin, but God offers forgiveness. Man offers lack, but God offers victory. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. Man offers pennies. God offers overflow. Man offers disease. God offers healing. Man offers prayers, and God offers answers. We offer what we have, and God offers back so much more to us. The Word of God does not return void when we declare it to God and let Him know that we know what His Scripture says, that we make it a point and a priority in our lives to know what this book says, to know what the Bible says, and to talk to God about it, that all areas of our life can prosper when we start speaking and sharing the Word of God with God, reminding Him of that covenant partner. Well, what I have in my life is sickness, but God, what you said I could have is by Jesus' stripes I am already healed. Father, there's sickness and disease in my life, but your Scripture says that you sent your Word and it healed us of all diseases. That we look and see what this book says and we offer it back to God. In Psalms chapter 107, verses 1 through 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His mercies endure forever. Look at verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That there's something that God needs from you, and it's you saying something back to him. That God wants to have a dialogue. God wants to have a conversation. God wants to talk with you, and he also wants to hear what you have to say. And at the beginning of your journey with Christianity, we offer up our sins, our failures, our insecurities. It says in the Scriptures that we cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you because my burden is light. Cast your burdens upon me and I'll give you my burden and it's light. It's refreshing. And then as we walk out this Christian walk in life... And we need things from the Father. He is so willing to give it to us. Father, I need love. Father, I need forgiveness. Father, I need mercy. Father, I need healing. Father, I need wisdom. Father, I need understanding. Father, I need freedom from this, freedom from that. And when we start having these dialogues, these conversations with God, it says that His Word will not return void. And it will cause prosperity to happen. People hear the word prosperity and instantly think of money, the money sign. That's not 
what prosperity is all about. Prosperity is, is, is growing. Prosperity is, 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 is accomplishing and succeeding in all avenues of life. Being prosperous in your healing, in your health. Being prosperous in your mind. Not thinking those thoughts continually. Not worrying, not being frustrated, not getting angry. Being prosperous in your emotions. Being prosperous in your relationship. The redeemed of the Lord is going to say so. I'm going to have the best marriage in this town. I'm going to have the best marriage in my family. I'm going to have the best kids that anybody's ever seen. I'm going to have the best animals. That dog and cat that keep digging up my yard. I'm going to keep saying so to that dog to quit digging. My cars are going to work. My house isn't going to fall apart. My relationship with God is going to prosper. I'm going to read the Bible and enjoy it and hear and see what God has to say. I was recently watching a UFC fight, and there's a, a guy from back home from Louisiana who lives close to where we, where I grew up by the name of Dustin Poirier, and he beat a guy by the name of Conor McGregor. I say he beat him. Uh, Conor McGregor broke his leg in half um, really bad in the ring. But a fighter, when he decides that he's going to fight somebody, doesn't start training the moment the bell rings and round one is called. That's a terrible setup for any fighter. I'm going to go fight this guy. I wait until the day of the fight. I walk into the ring. Bruce Buffer's there. Let's get ready to rumble. I don't know if I can actually say that. I think he can sue me for saying that. <laughs> Apparently, he makes it like $1 million every time he says it or gets credit for it for saying one phrase, let's get ready to rumble. And I decide when the bell rings that that's the time I'm supposed to start training. As the fighter starts coming, my opponent starts coming after me, I get down on the ground and I start doing push-ups, start doing crunches, start stretching it out. My opponent is going to laugh at me and then thoroughly annihilate me in the ring. I say, wait, 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 wait. Let me just, let me get a couple punches in. Let me try and hit you in the face. That's not what fighters do. Fighters make the decision when there's an opponent that they're going to fight. They start training months in advance. They go into their camp. They start studying their opponent. They start looking for his weakness they start trying to figure out what their strengths are. Well, I know I have a powerful right hand. I know that my kicks are more deadly than anybody else. I know that, that my, my ground game is, is not the strongest, so I want to stay up and I want to fight and square off with him. I know that my opponent can't take a kick, so I'm just going to keep kicking him in the leg over and over and over again. They do these studies. They prepare they fight, they get ready, so when they step into the ring, they know exactly what they're supposed to do. I'm not going to get defeated when I walk into the ring with the opponent because I've trained, I've prepared, I know what I'm coming against. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he makes the statement, fight the good fight of faith. Look at this. Lay hold onto eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed. Right there we see a picture of the covenant once again that God called me, God called Timothy, and Paul is telling Timothy to confess, not any confession, well, I sure hope I win. I sure hope I do this or that. I sure hope God's on my side. Does God even care? No, no, no. He says, have the confess, the good confession, in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. The Word of God will produce prosperity in all areas of life when you return it back to Him. Family, I want to remind you today, you might not be where you need to be, but you can get where you want to be. And it's not without a fight. And that fight is called your prayer life. You've got to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. And if you fight the good fight of faith, you know what? You don't really have to fight the devil that much. The Scripture says the devil's already been defeated. Colossians, it says that Jesus made an open mockery of the devil. He's made the earth his footstool. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. When he left, being dead in the grave, it says he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. The devil has been already defeated. You already know his weaknesses. Resist the devil and he will flee. The devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Well, that's simple. The devil's not devouring me. I'm not going to let him devour my family. He's not going to devour my finances. He's not going to devour my church. He's not going to devour my community because I'm going to resist him. I already know what he's going to do. He did it with Adam and Eve. Did not the Lord say when it came to eating the fruit? He started questioning what did God say, which called Adam and Eve to start thinking, well, did he say it? Did he really mean it for me? Did he mean it for somebody else? Does it apply to me? I don't know. I'll eat the fruit instead. But we know his tactic. We know that he's going to come and whisper in your ear. And he's going to say, did God really say that in the Bible? Did he really say that at church? Was that really for you? Do you know how much of a loser, sinner, failure, do you know how much of this and that you are? We already know those tactics. We already know his weakness, but we know our strengths, that God has given us the authority of the name of Jesus, and that at that name, every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that he is Lord. You've got to fight the good fight of faith. You've got to go on this journey with God, which is why your prayer life is so important. Don't wait until the storm is beating down your house. Start preparing now. Start praying now. Start speaking the scriptures that you know you need in your life now, and those big storms aren't going to affect you. You're not going to be in the middle of the ring trying to train when the enemy is attacking, when the world's coming against you, well, now do I, I need to go here, I need to go there. What do I do? How do I 
No, I already know. I already know how to defeat the devil. I already know what the Word says. I'm already speaking the Scriptures because I'm going to see God's Word not return to him void and not return to me void. I will prosper in this life. Amen. Let's move on. Isaiah 55, verse 12. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. My goal, my prayer, my heart for each and every one of you is that first part of the Scripture every time you come to church, that you go out of this building with joy and that you be led out with peace. That there is enough negativity and frustration out in this world that I should not have to come to church and regret coming to church. I should not come to church and get beat up by the pastor and tell me how much of a sinner I am. I want to know, not that I'm a sinner, I already know that. All this week I know, I can tell you right now, all the sins that I did. You could probably tell me right now all the sins that you did, frustrations that you're dealing with. I don't want to come to church and get beat down by that. I want to get told that there's an answer. I want to get told that there's a healer. I want to get told that there is a king of kings and a lord of lords who's already paid the price for me. The scripture says that he's a mediator. The scripture says that he is interceding for me. The scripture says that he is my big brother that's rooting me on so that I can walk out of this church ready to attack Monday, not looking and, and regretting of what's going to happen on Monday, but I can walk out of this church, and you can walk out of this church full of joy and full of peace, because Scripture says that the joy of the Lord is your strength that will help you when you go out there when you feel weak. When you feel like you can't accomplish it, you can do it. The joy of the Lord is going to carry you and help you. I digress. Isaiah 55, verse 12, the fifth truth that we have is that creation is awaiting your arrival. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Creation is awaiting your arrival. In Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, we see Paul writing to the church of Rome, and he shows us this. He says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. Creation itself. All of creation on this earth that God created at the very beginning of time and says it is good was warped and twisted by the decisions and the sins of humanity. And now all of creation is waiting for you and me as the sons of sons and daughters of God to reveal ourselves. Because look, look why. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility or uselessness because of what Adam did, the sin of Adam and Eve. Look, not willingly, creation did not want to be useless 
They wanted to prosper. They wanted to grow. They wanted to help. They wanted to do all these things that God had created and put them on the earth for such a purpose. They didn't do it willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Look, verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Until right now. Creation is awaiting your arrival. The authority that Jesus has placed in your tongue, in your mouth. Go out there and change and let free the bondage of creation. All of creation is waiting your arrival. Do you understand, do you realize how important you really are? Do you see how much God truly loves you and how he wants to use you? That it doesn't take, it doesn't say that they're waiting on the pastors, those in ministry to go out there and free creation. There's not a specific job title or job role. He says he is waiting on the sons and daughters. As soon as you say yes to Jesus, you are adopted into the kingdom of God, and you are now a son and daughter, which means you have the same authority and power that Jesus has to go out there and release the bondage of the world. Let them know that they have a way to be set free. Let them know what Jesus did for them. Let them know that when Jesus yelled out, it is finished, that means whatever sin, whatever addiction, whatever disease, whatever frustration you're dealing with can be finished right now. God's looking and waiting. Creation's looking and waiting for you. You know that God's not hiding from you. You might think that God's hiding from you. You might think, because I've done this, because I've done that, God's hiding from you. God's not hiding from you. In the Scriptures, Adam and Eve sinned. The first sin, who did the hiding? Mankind did the hiding. Adam and Eve went and ran, hid, covered themselves. But God didn't. God walked in the middle of the garden. Adam, where are you? Adam, what's going on? We meet at this time every day. Where are you at? Looking. God's looking for a sinner. Adam. Someone who had just sinned. Probably still had juices from the fruit dripping off of their faces. Adam, where are you? Adam and Eve. This is the Jeremiah version at least in my mind, thinks that they were hiding in the trees and they watched him as he walked by. Shh, 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 be quiet, Eve. Be quiet, don't let him see us. Naked, we're ashamed. I can't believe we did this. We're such idiots. God told us we believe that dumb snake. Adam, where are you? Okay, I'm going to go out there. I'm, I'm going to, let me go out first. That way if he kills me, you can at least run. Adam, where are you? God, I'm, God, I'm, I'm right here. Eve, stay right here, stay right here. I'm right here. He said, what are you doing? He said, we 
We hid. We were naked. We were ashamed. And God says, who told you that you were naked and ashamed? God says, I've never told you what naked means. I've never told you what ashamed means. Who told you those words? Why are you experiencing those things? That's not what I intended. That's not what I want for you. There's a story, the prophet Elijah, he just has this mighty miracle, and he runs away, and he hides in a cave, and he has a little pity party, if I'm being honest. He said, well, there's, no other, there's nobody else that loves God. There's no other prophets out there. It's just me. I might as well just die. And he's hiding in this cave, and it says that there's an earthquake. It says that there's a firestorm. It says all these things happened, and then there's a still, quiet voice that's calling out to him. He's hiding. He's emotionally drained. He's tired. He's being chased by the king and the queen to kill him. And God comes and finds him. Family, I want you to know today that God is not hiding from you. God is actively looking, searching, and seeking after you. It says in the scriptures that he'll leave the 99 to go find you the one. Jesus made the declaration that I have come to seek and save that which is lost. That God's not hiding from you. He's looking for you. And it's also time for us as men and women of God who have the answers there, are, there is a whole world out there that is looking for the truth, that is looking for the answers. They are fearful. They are worried. They have no idea what's coming around the corner. But we, as the church, as sons and daughters of God, have the answer, and it's time for us to stop hiding. It's time for us to step out now and reveal ourselves to creation so that we can release them from the bondage by telling them the good news that God died for your sins According to the scriptures, he was buried in the tomb and he rose again the third day. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Paul is writing and he says, And do this, knowing that the time, that now, right now, family, is high time to awake out of your sleep. For now our salvation is nearer more than ever than when we first believed. Now is the time for the church of God to wake up and to bring the answers to a hurting and dying community, to let them know about the love of God, to let them know about the peace of God, to let them know that God is on their side, that God is cheering them on, that God is not trying to keep people out of heaven. He's trying to bring people into heaven. God would be such an unjust God if he killed his one and only son as the way, the only way to get you into heaven, but then turn right around and say, well, I don't want to have all these people in heaven. I want everybody to come. God's trying to get you into heaven. The last scripture we have, the last scripture of this passage, Isaiah 55, verse 13. Verse 13 says, Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The last truth that we have of the everlasting mercies of David, of this new covenant 
that we have in Jesus is this new covenant is the last covenant. This new covenant is the last covenant for an everlasting sign that shall not, shall not be cut off. Humanity has this unction inside of us to continually take a plan and grow it and build it, make it faster, make it sleeker, make it better, constantly trying to improve whatever we're on. For those that are younger, they have no idea about AOL Internet. I remember when I was in high school, was the first time that I got a computer, ninth grade, 2000, I guess it was right at 2000, is when we got our first desktop computer. And we got this little CD that we would put in there for AOL, whatever version it was, and then the beep, 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 and it would just take forever. And then finally you would get on, welcome to AOL, you've got mail. And then you would, at least in high school, you would try and instant message the girls in high school. And finally, you would you'd have the opportunity to talk to that one girl. I was too scared to talk to her at school, but I could instant message her. Say, hey, what's up? What are you doing? And then the phone would ring, and the answer machine would come on, and we'd get kicked off the internet. And I would say, no, mom, my wife. That was my shot. And I'd be, on the, I'd be sitting at the computer waiting on the phone to stop ringing so I could log back in. And in my mind, I'd be praying to God, please don't let it be my grandparents because mom's going to talk on the phone forever. And this is the shot to talk to her. I'm in ninth grade and she's in tenth grade. But now we have these things that we can't get rid of. Cell phones. I remember a close friend of the family, Uncle George, had a cell phone in his car. He was a salesman as a kid. And I remember getting in his car and seeing that massive box that was sitting in the middle of his console. And he, it was Velcroed shut and he ripped that Velcro off. And there was a phone with all these numbers and an antenna and all that. And I said, Uncle George, what is that? He says, it's a cell phone. You pick it up, and it even had a, a wire to it. It was still attached to this device. But we, as humans, keep pushing the plan and the purpose of cell phones. And we said, that's not the, the final plan of this big brick in your car. We've now got these itty-bitty devices that they say has more technology in it than the rocket ship that landed us on the moon. What about vehicles? The Model T. We started with a horse, then we invented the wheel, and we said, well, let's attach the horse to the wheel, and we could pull a cart, and then somebody says, we get a bunch of horses if we put it in an engine and go vroom, vroom, vroom. Now we have the Tesla. Now they're talking about flying cars. Now we have cars that are driving themselves. 
and there's people driving by these cars as the person in the car is sleeping. Because humanity, we don't come up with the best plan as the first plan. We just keep pushing the plan. Well, what if we had a phone that we could use, not at our house, but we could walk around with or put it in our car? And we'll just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and eventually we'll come up with the best plan. But that is not what God did. God decided before the foundations of the world, the lamb was already slain. The plan that he came up with was the best and the only plan called this new covenant. He's not trying to make different iterations of the covenant. He's not saying, well, this is the the second or the third. There was the old covenant, and now there's the new covenant. In the scriptures, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, which we know is Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Paul has this revelation that the first man or was called Adam, the first Adam. He doesn't call Jesus the second Adam. He calls him the last Adam. Because if there's a second Adam, if he calls Jesus the second Adam, then your mind instantly starts going to, well, who's the third Adam? Is there a better Adam? The fourth Adam? The fifth one? So Paul, with revelation from God, makes the distinction and says, Jesus is the last Adam. This is the only way that humanity can be saved is through the last Adam. The new covenant is the last covenant. There is nothing coming after this covenant. Jesus is not called the second Adam, but the last Adam. It is the last covenant, and God is not making another one. God is not trying to keep people out of heaven, family. He's trying to get you in there. Last scripture, and I'm finishing with this. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. This is the old covenant, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That is why works will never get you into heaven. No matter how much of the Bible you read, no matter how many times your butt hits these chairs, no matter how many times you pray, no matter how much money you give, works is never going to take away your sins and get you into heaven. In the Old Covenant, it says that there were priests who were standing there every day, lined up with people, with animals, goats and pigeons and sheep, and they would lay their hands on that animal. They'd confess their sins, and they would cut that animal until it bled out, and then they would place it upon the altar. And then the next day, Old Jewish fella would mouth off to his wife again, would do something wrong at work, and he'd say, honey, I'll be home soon, but i got to go get another pigeon and another sacrifice to atone for my sins. And then once a year, the priest had two sheep, one they would sacrifice for the whole sins of the Jewish people, and one they would let go called the scapegoat. And it says here in Hebrews that those priests stood there ministering daily, day after day after day, killing animal after animal after animal, burning animal after animal after animal. And God got tired of it. He says in the scriptures, he says he was tired of smelling the sacrifices. He was done with it. So he decided to come up with a new covenant to get over it. Look at verse 12. But this man... 
Praise God. The last Adam, Jesus himself, after he made the decision to offer one sacrifice for sin. For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son for one and only job to sacrifice for sins forever. What did he do? He says, I'm not going to stand like those other priests and continually wait and offer another sacrifice. I'm going to sit down to show that this is complete. This is the final plan. This is the only way. This is the way. Look at verse 13. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. The last scripture, verse 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's you and me. He's sanctifying us. We're working on being sanctified, but he has already perfected forever those things. Let's stand up as we get ready to head out. Thank God for the sure mercies of David and the encouragement of Pastor John through this. Ephesians, I mean, Isaiah 55, the new covenant that has been placed in your life, the truths that you can pull from this new covenant. New covenant realities come to you based on hearing. What are you hearing? And who are you telling? God's pardon is greater than your sin. Men think of getting even, but God thinks about getting over your sin. Number four, the Word of God will produce prosperity in all areas of your life when you return it, when you speak it back to Him. Number five, creation is awaiting your, revi- your arrival. So go out there and reveal yourself to humanity. And lastly, this new covenant is the last covenant. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word that will not return void. Father, I thank you for these people that are here. I thank you that your hand is upon their lives. Father, I thank you for this revelation that it will bear fruit in our lives. Father, I thank you that your word says today that we have the mind of Christ. Your word today says that by Jesus' stripes, we are already healed. So, Father, I thank you for healing in the body of believers here today. For those that aren't here and that are suffering from sickness, we speak healing into their bodies right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we come against this COVID right now in the name of Jesus. We says anything that has a name must bow its knee. So in the name of Jesus, COVID will not affect this church or this congregation in the name of Jesus. That we are healed, we are the right righteousness of God. And therefore, in Psalms 91, it says, though a thousand may fall by our sides, 10,000 at our right hand, no evil shall befall us in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We're blessed in the city and blessed in the field. We are blessed where we are right now, and we're blessed in the future that you're bringing us into. Father, I thank you that everyone here is the salt and light of the earth, a city set on a hill that refuses to be hidden. Father, I thank you for your people that are here today. Father, some of our friends and family and our congregants are out on vacation. So, Father, give them rest while they're out at the beach. Let them rest and recover this week as they enjoy. Give them good weather. Protect them. Keep them safe. Father, I thank you for your people. Cause them to prosper in everything they do and bring them back safely next Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank God for the sure mercies of David. Thank God for you. We'll see you all next Sunday. Take care. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.